Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Golden State v. Houston in the conference finals, and that's the matchup we have all been waiting for since Chris Paul was dealt to the Rockets. And if it felt like it was a long wait, then Draymond Green is with you. He told ESPN, the regular season, quote, felt like an eternity, a bleeping eternity. He's right, but now it's here. It's finally here, and man, it got off to a nice start. That was a great start last night. First quarter, absolutely electric. It had everything you'd want. A tactical foul, weird jump balls. Oh, and look over here, a Nick Young sighting. Nick Young draining a three in the conference finals to start that game. I mean, it was awesome. Seriously, you could not have asked for a better first quarter. Couple of teams trading haymakers, literally. Like when Draymond and James Harden got hooked up early on. Harden left-hand drive, bumps Durant out of the way, goes up and scores. And now Durant gets shoved by Draymond Green. It's a technical on Draymond for shoving Harden. Draymond took the bait. It's 5-0 Warriors, a minute seven, or 5-0 Rockets, a minute seven into the game. He's right with Scott Foster here, right in front of him. Draymond's got to be careful. Well, Harden was doing his best to keep the Warriors from inbounding the ball, which right. is delay of game. Right. Let the official call it. Warriors radio. And are you kidding me? 67 seconds into the first quarter, and Draymond is going bow to the neck on the beard and getting teed up. And he nearly got a second tee not long thereafter. So these two teams combine to go 10 of 19 from three in the first 11 minutes, and they combine for 59 points in the first 12 minutes. When it was over, the Rockets had a 30-29 lead. Everybody watching was hyped. Everybody was amped. I mean, this is exactly what we've all been waiting for, and it was delivering until reality set in. Houston was having to work way too hard on offense while Golden State was just doing whatever the hell they wanted. Kevin Durant in particular. No matter who Houston threw at KD, he had an answer. And that answer was either taking his man off the dribble or sticking a jumper in his face. Poor Nene came rolling off the bench, and seconds later was matched up, matched up with KD. And the result was exactly what you would expect when you bring a 16-year vet off the bench to try to deal with KD. Just another stat on his way to 37. And if KD wasn't killing the Rockets, it was Clay Thompson who had 28. But that was not the backbreaker. If you want to know the exact time of death in that game, maybe in the series... It was at 3.54 to go in the fourth quarter because that's when you had this series of events that ended with Houston getting their soul ripped. Back comes Durant. Three on one develops. Curry for three. Raced down by Thompson. No. And deflected to the backcourt. The officials say it was deflected. Mike D'Antoni looking for a backcourt violation. But that's Houston's fault. Nobody from Houston got back past half court on that defensive play. Thompson wide open for three. So many The proverbial dagger. TNT on that. If the Rockets weren't already going to lose that game, they lost it right there. Now, should a backcourt have been called? Probably. Did Houston have a right to complain? Certainly. Should they have stopped playing in order to complain? Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. Especially when it results in Klay Thompson getting a look from three without a single rocket within about 50 feet of the guy. He had so much time that he could take that James Harden petty dribble. 
and then train that three. And then somewhere along the way, somewhere during the fourth quarter, you had to ask the question, was the NBA title won last night and nobody noticed? I don't want to overreact to one game because it's only one game. But how brutal was that last night for Houston? They worked all season to get that home court for that moment. Then they lost it the first moment they had it. I mean, they built a team, a mindset, a philosophy to beat Golden State, and they had success against Golden State in the regular season. The Warriors did not look that good down the stretch of the regular season. They were slumping going into the playoffs. I mean, maybe, maybe the Warriors were vulnerable. Maybe this Rockets team could take them down. And then in game one, they come out on fire. They jump out to a lead. Draymond gets that early tee. Steph Curry does not look like himself. James Harden plays an MVP caliber game, 41-7 assists. He shot the damn lights out, was lethal with that step-back jumper. Everything seems to be breaking Houston's way, and they still lost at home. And in fact, they got hammered at home. So if you're Golden State and you can just flip the switch like that, the regular season would feel like a bleeping eternity because these are the games that you play for. These are the games you live for, and then you can show up just like that. So don't tell me it's not possible to throw the switch because Golden State just did. They're a totally different team than they were in the regular season because the regular season doesn't mean jack to these guys. Why should they kill themselves there? For the home court? Don't need it. For 70 wins? For who? For what? It means nothing. The ring is the thing, and the champs know it, and they're playing like they're about to win another. So finally, I don't want to bury a team or a series after only 48 minutes, but ask yourself this. Does that Houston team, as good as they were in the regular season, look like they can beat this Golden State team four out of six? And maybe, and maybe, Did everyone, including the Rockets, forget how good Golden State really is? I know this. They're not going to beat Golden State playing two-on-five with Harden CP3. They're not going to beat them playing five-on-five. And given that this is the de facto NBA Finals, we just have to hope that the Rockets do show up, and it's not a short series, if it is the de facto NBA Finals. 1-800-636-8686. 1-800-636-8686. So what do you make of what you saw last night? Can the Rockets get back in this thing? Man, that is jarring, H-Town. You busted your ass all year long for the home court, and it's already gone. And by the way, you can throw the switch. That's exactly what Golden State just did. They threw the switch. That is a totally different Golden State team than the one that lost 10 of 17 coming into the postseason. They know what it takes. They got it done. one 800 636 8686. They got it done, and now the Rockets might be done. Michael McCann joins me once again. Michael, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you on, Michael. Lots to talk about. Let me start with the Supreme Court ruling yesterday that empowered each state to decide whether it's going to allow sports gambling. Before, Michael, we start getting into the implications of the decision, can you lay it out for me? What was the case that they were ruling on, and what were the arguments in that case? Sure. So the case emanated from New Jersey, where New Jersey, under Governor Chris Christie, enacted a law that would allow New Jersey to offer sports betting. It would allow racetracks and other entities in the state to basically get licenses to let people bet on sports. And that ran into a problem with federal law. There's a federal law that was effective until yesterday that banned sports betting in all but four states, One of the exceptions is Nevada, which, of course, has taken advantage of that exception. 
And New Jersey argued that, that it's unconstitutional, that the federal government shouldn't have the power to tell states, to use New Jersey's language, commandeer states, to prohibit sports betting. The federal government and also pro-leagues and the NCAA argued this isn't about commandeering. This is an inherent power of the federal government. The government has the right to look at issues of interstate commerce. And those were the key arguments. The Supreme Court said, you're wrong, federal government. You can't tell states what to do on this issue. If states want to offer sports betting, there's nothing in the Constitution that stops that. And New Jersey won. And this was a, this is a big decision because lower courts had disagreed. Lower courts had ruled with the federal government. The Supreme Court said, no, federal government is wrong. So, you know, Gov- Governor Christie's obviously, uh, former Governor Christie has been maligned in many ways, but on this issue, he prevailed. And this was a big win for him, certainly. Michael McCann joining us. So, Michael, why is that? New Jersey lost this case at every round until they reached the Supreme Court. Why was that? And why did the Supreme Court come to a different decision? You know, part of it, Jim, is the ideology of the justices on the Supreme Court. They believe in something called the anti-commandeering doctrine, the idea that the federal government shouldn't have the right to tell states what to do if there isn't a clear constitutional mandate that allows the federal government to do that. That this doctrine is, is sort of limiting the scope of federal authority. And the lower courts didn't embrace it to the same degree because they focused on other aspects of the Constitution, specifically the Commerce Clause, which allows the federal government to say, look, if you and I do a contract and you're in one state and I'm in another, the federal government has some authority there because it's interstate. Whereas the Supreme Court justices says, said, basically, you know, that's, that's reaching too far, that the federal government shouldn't have that kind of authority. It's really a state issue and there's nowhere in the Constitution that says explicitly the federal government had this power. So it really kind of comes down to, you know, what, what do you think is the appropriate role of the federal government? Where does the constitutional, where does the, where does the Constitution sort of put in checks and balances on that? And, and the Supreme Court justices viewed it in a, in a different way. Clones, cops are stepping up enforcement on motorists who are not wearing their seatbelts. If you've thought to yourself, I'm not going very far, or I'm in a rush, or seatbelts are just too uncomfortable, then know this, you're putting your at the risk of injury or death. There is never a good excuse not to buckle up because it's always dangerous to not wear your seatbelt when you get behind the wheel of a car. Seatbelt use is required by law for a reason. Over 14,000 lives of occupants, five and older, were saved by seatbelts in 2016 alone. You know the saying, now make it a household rule to live by, click it or tick it. When you're not wearing your seatbelt, you're risking serious injury or death. It's a fact. Cops are writing tickets, so don't take the risk. Don't play the odds. Again, let me say it so it sticks. Click it or tick it. Michael McCann joining us. So, Michael, privately, how do you think each professional league reacted to the news of that decision? So, I think privately they probably liked it, and obviously publicly they lost, right? So they have to express disappointment and say, you know, we're disappointed we lost the case. But privately, I'm sure they view this as an opportunity. Uh, some of the leagues, especially the NBA, have really already embraced it, and the NBA, and the leagues knew this was going to come as well. This was no surprise. The decision they've had months to plan for it, and the leagues have already taken steps. For instance, the NBA has argued that if states decide to any state that permit sports betting should should ensure that leagues get what's called an integrity fee. The integrity fee is basically a, a maximum 1% cut on what 
uh, on an amount of money that's generated on sports betting in the state should go to the leagues because the leagues say we need to monitor our games to make sure that games aren't being thrown, that players aren't being bought off, that referees, you know, we know this is, was an issue in the NBA, aren't being bought off, that we should get a cut. And obviously some of the states and ga- gambling operators are going to reject that. But, but this could be a lot of money for the, for the leagues. And also, you know, leagues could maybe get directly involved with sports betting. I mean, we don't know how states are going to look at who gets a license. It could be a pretty broad scope of entities. Michael McCann joining us. I was going to say, Michael, that 1% number, they may or may not get that number, but when we're talking about, quote, integrity fees, how much money are we talking about? I mean, we could be talking about billions of dollars, right? Because, I mean, this ind- I mean I, we've seen all different estimates of how much this industry is worth and what will be the total value but we have seen literally the billions tossed around, and I have a feeling this is going to be a bonanza in terms of money. And we're going to see a rush to get into this space. We're going to see lobbying efforts in different states. We've already seen it happen, but it's going to be intensified with the Supreme Court ruling where you're going to see gambling operators lobbying saying we should be able to get licenses in this state, and the leagues are going to be right there saying, look, okay, we'll support it if we get our integrity fees. And this is money that's not just going to help the owners, it's going to help the players too. The NBA is going to share the revenue with the players. So the, the players could end up getting more basketball-related income. This could mean an expansion of the salary cap. I mean, there are all sorts of ways this could affect not just people betting on sports, but just fans in general. We were talking to Michael McCann. You know, Michael, there have been a number of incidents over the years from the Black Sox scandal to Tim Donaghy where there's been corruption due to gambling. How big of a concern is that right now, and how will the leagues look to minimize that risk? You know, Jim, I mean, it's certainly a concern, but I don't know if this Supreme Court decision changes the concern, right? This, is, this has taken place for years. It's been illegal, and it still happened. I don't know if making it legal makes it more likely to happen. I, I think if people want to try to pay off a referee or an athlete or a coach or a manager, I don't think they're going to be deterred or incentivized by the law. They're, they're going to know it's criminal to do that, and if they're either going to do it or they're not. I think, in a way, maybe legalizing sports betting creates greater transparency. It allows state governments an opportunity to collect its cut, if you will, of the revenue. So they're going to have an incentive to ensure that tax dollars are being uh, obtained through this mechanism so that you know, money that could be used for schools and other things. Maybe this will increase enforcement mechanisms. Maybe this will make the government, state governments more interested in ensuring that these activities don't happen. And if integrity fees are paid, leagues then would have a greater financial wherewithal to do the same. So I, I think these issues remain in place, but I don't know if, if the Supreme Court's decision really changes the dynamics. So what about the public at large? I mean, you made the point that there may also be public health consequences given to the fact that 3% of Americans have significant gambling addictions. If there's anything or is there anything that can be done to address the overall context of more gambling and more options to gamble, and how concerning is that? Yeah, Jim, I think this is a part of the story that hasn't gotten a lot of attention because people are sort of caught up with, with the Supreme Court decision and the thought of sports betting being more accessible. But we know that the House usually wins with betting, right? This is how uh, gambling entities make money. And we know that people will bet on sports and lose, and there will, there will be stories of people that lose everything. I mean, we, this, is a, this is a narrative that's played out for many years and I have a feeling that when states are considering laws related to legalizing sports betting, 
that that part of the story is going to get more attention, and some will be swayed by that. So what can states do? They can certainly set up uh, funds, so maybe some of the money that's generated through sports betting goes towards public health to help out those who have gambling addictions. There are ways of trying to mitigate the problem, but there's no question that it will be a, a public health issue. I don't know if that's going to sway let state legislatures uh, to not pass it, but I do think it will come up. In a final thought, we talked about professional leagues and their reaction. What about the NCAA? Behind the scenes, how do you think the NCAA is reacting to this? I think the NCAA is probably a lot more cautious about this than the pro leagues. And, and I have a feeling their efforts are going to be geared towards lobbying state houses and, and telling them basically, look, if you want to authorize sports betting, fine, limit it to pro sports. Make sure that you don't allow gambling operators to get licenses that, that permit betting on college games or high school games or Olympics. I mean, there are all sorts of levels to this. So I have a feeling that they're probably worried a little bit about the professionalization of sports betting, that it could, it could feed into the argument that college sports are really similar to pro sports and that, that athletes ought, ought to be compensated in some way. And then, of course, there's the ongoing issue, and it's been, it's been in place for years, that you know, could college athletes be bought off, that it's one thing to, to try to persuade a millionaire pro athlete to, to throw a game that's going to be hard to do, perhaps, because he's already getting, making a lot of money. But a college athlete that doesn't have a lot of money, you know, maybe they're more susceptible. So I'm sure the NCAA is worried about that. I would think so. He's a legal analyst for Sports Illustrated, the associate dean of the UNH School of Law, Michael McCann. Michael, great to have you back, and I always appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jim. Two weeks ago, I announced the smack-off, and I told you the smack-off. Smack-off 24 was 80 days out. Most of you are probably thinking, no rush, that's an eternity. Except now, you're 66 days out. Just like that, 14 days closer. And you know what I've not done in the last two weeks? I've not given out a single golden ticket. Which means, anybody out there who wants a shot at Smackoff 24 and the five gur, 5000 bucks, five grand, that comes along with ripping that thing, just gassed two weeks. I said it was going to get late early, and guess what? It's getting late early. Now, while we're on the topic of golden tickets, I may as well very quickly run down the list so everybody knows who's played their way in so far. If you've won the event already, you get an automatic exemption. Otherwise, you need an invite. There's some people that are invited that haven't won that don't need a golden ticket. They know who they are. Except for that golden ticket list. Let me very quickly recap. Danica in Jacksonville. She has a ticket. She ripped one for her tenderoni call back in the August of 2017. Now, I'm out of money for season tickets. And the only thing I can do is go to the games, get drunk, find a little tenderoni, and take him home for the night and ruin him. I'm out. That call was so different. That call was so great. That call was so awesome. Shortly after last year's smack off, I put her in this year's smack off. She locked that down in August of 2017. It goes to show, if it's the right call, it doesn't matter when it comes in, you can get a golden ticket. She's invited. She's in. Rich in Copyright Hills also has a golden ticket. He got his back in September. Rick in Buffalo. See, Rick in Buffalo is different. He not only has a golden ticket, but he has spit in the face of the schmacky chopper numerous times and lived to talk about it. Rick in Buffalo, 
a golden ticket lock to get in on the day of the smack-off. Then you have Jeff in San Antonio. He got one when he started crying over how much I meant to him, but then he got schmackied when he called a few or called back to actually run smack a few weeks later. You know, he got in on the strength of the emotion of the phone call, but then was feeling himself, got cocky, and tried to come with an actual take. I carry the smack hammer heavy, and I'm coming for all the legends. Vic and no call, his little heroin addiction that he tries to play off with calls to your show, done. So, war me, war me winning the smack off next year, and war Rome as always. I'm out. As much as this hurts me to do it, it's going to hurt you even more. You're not invited to the smack off any longer. Hey, Jeff, that hurt me. That hurt me a lot. I'm going to say that hurt me more than it hurt you. Not really. That was kind of savage, wasn't it? This guy calls up crying, emotional, talking about his baby and his fiance. His baby Jordan, named by his fiance. So I was so moved by the moment. It was great. This guy was like man enough to cry on this show. So I gave him a golden ticket. But then he calls back literally a couple weeks later and tries to tell me how great his smack is and then has the gall to say he's going to win the smack off. I had to rip that golden ticket. He got choppered. Tyler in Edmonton is on the list. He played his way back in after a 12th place finish last year. Now I don't even know why he's got a golden ticket. He's already invited. He made the competition last year and came in top 12. But I respect the fact that he's going to cover that thing from every single angle. Tyler is in. All right, remember this guy, Ron. Ron is in. Ron, a.k.a. Ryan, a.k.a. Ron, a.k.a. Ron, a.k.a. Run or whatever the hell this guy's name is, this guy has a golden ticket. Let's go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ron, you made it in under the wire. Hi, Ron. How are you? What's up, Romy? How are you doing? Good. How about you, Ron? It's actually Ryan. I didn't want to clarify it. It's not Ron. It's Ryan. No. Why'd you do that, Alex? You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Why'd you do that? Not a very good call. All right, so you hear me ask, why did you do that, Alvin? Alvin ran him, and all the guy did was correct me because I said his name wrong, and I said his name wrong because Hawk gave me the wrong name. And I said, Alvin, that's really not fair. Why did you run that guy? And Alvin's response was, quote, don't correct the host. I called him by the wrong name because Sparrow wrote down the wrong name. The caller kindly corrected me, and Alvin murdered him. Absolutely hammered him. So, it was out of the kindness of my heart that I've got Ryan, a.k.a. Ron, a.k.a. who freaking knows. He gets a golden ticket for his troubles. More on that in one second. He's in. That guy's in. I gave him a golden ticket because he was wronged so badly by us, by Alvin. Somebody else with a golden ticket. Ken in Sacramento. Ken's got one because I want to see if straight sports takes and effortless flow can hold up in a smack off. Ken in Sacramento is in. You know who else is? Marie. Freaking Marie has herself a golden ticket. 
um, the winners of the Super Bowl really deserve to win. Wait for and it. that's what I wanted to tell you. The winners of the Super Bowl really deserve to win it. And Marie, you really deserve a golden ticket. And that's why you have one. And the most recent golden ticket winner. See, this is the point that I'm trying to make. The most recent golden ticket recipient is back from March. March. Nobody has ripped one since March. Luke in Fort Collins got his then. Here in northern Colorado, the station that carries the jungle is actually the Cheyenne, Wyoming affiliate. In the middle of your conversation last week with Ian Rappaport, they went from the jungle to, like, Division Five high school basketball semifinals. Casper versus Chugwater reaction. Like, nobody needs to hear that. I was good enough to get one for some reason. Here's my point. I have not given one away since March. So, if I'm not giving them away, I have to be doing something. If I'm not giving them away, I am taking them away. It is time for some spring cleaning. I am not going to wait for these people to call in and rip their tickets back. My show, if you're not going to call and give me a reason to give you a ticket, I think I would just take back some of the ones I've given out. My show, my rules. Like you, you, I'm looking at you, Ron or Ryan, or Run, or whatever the hell your name is. I really don't care what your name is. I just know this. I have not heard from you since I kindly gifted you a ticket for that idiot hawk making a mistake. And then my savage board ops, heavy hand, all right? You got screwed both ways. First by Hawk, then by Alvin. I felt badly, so I gave you a golden ticket. Ron, or Ryan, or Run, or whatever the hell your name is. I don't know what your name is. I just know this. Whoever the hell you are, meet the chopper, you ungrateful bastard. Now you're done, Run, or Ryan, or Ron, or Rich. Whatever your name is. Whatever you used to have, you no longer have it. If that was in your vault, if that was in your desk drawer, go look for it. It's not there anymore. Now it's mine. Now you're done. Now I'm done. If I can't give them away, I have no choice but to take them away. You are not invited. Run. All right, run's done. Who else? Now I'm done. Who else is holding on to a ticket that does not deserve a ticket? I mean, nice guys finish last. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being the best guy in every single room. I'm tired of being the best guy wherever I go. I'm tired of being Mr. Nice Guy. Now you're done, run. I'll tell you who else is done. I'll tell you who else is done. Man, I was so proud of myself for the way I handled this when it went down. I really did handle this like a boss. I handled this like a pro. And maybe I'm not going to be proud of this, but you know what? Marie, you can go ahead and give me yours back too. Marie. Marie, I know you're not familiar with that sound. That is the sound of the choppa. That is the sound, Marie, of me taking back what I had given to you. I know that's bad form. I'm not really proud of it. But that ticket, Marie, now it's mine. The fact of the matter is, you probably never knew what you had anyway. Uh, and who am I speaking to? How can you be in the show? You don't even know who you're talking to. Marie, I can't put you in the smack off. Marie, you do not know who you're talking to. Did I really give a golden ticket to somebody who began their phone call with, who am I speaking to? Uh, who am I speaking to? She just said it so sweetly. She was just so sweet and kindly. You know, I don't feel so sweet today or kindly. In fact, I'm getting pissed. I'm getting pissed because nobody's calling 
with anything worthy to get a golden ticket. So if I can't give them to you, I will take them away. There's two. Two people got choppered in the same segment. Run and Marie. Now, this is two for me. And you know what? It felt pretty good. It felt pretty damn good. Now, listen. Do not be slapping yourself on the back if you were not choppered. I'm looking at you, Danica. I'm looking at you, Rich in Copyright Hills. I'm looking at you, Ken in Sacktown. And Luke in Fort Collins. Because getting that golden ticket does not guarantee you're going to get on that day. It guarantees you an invite, but it does not guarantee you'll get on. Generally, the best of the best get on. You need to give me a reason to put you on that day. And if you're resting on your laurels or you're riding on the strength of that one good phone call that you ripped with your golden ticket, there is a very good chance that you have not given me enough of a reason to go to you on July 20th. Now, keep that in mind. The golden ticket does not guarantee you'll get on. But that said, not having one guarantees that you won't. You have to be in it to win it. There is five grand at stake. Possibly your own show waiting for you on the other side if you do win. Don't believe me? Ask any of the guys who have won or even participated that parlayed that into their own shows or careers in this industry because they have lots of people. And I'll say this, 66 days is going to fly by. And some of you are not accounting for days that I might not even be here. Remember, I get like six weeks of vacation a year. I haven't taken any yet. We're into May. It stands to reason it's going to stack up quickly. If you want to rip a ticket, now is the time. Hell, it's been time. You're actually late. What are you waiting for? Get in and make me want you to be a part of this thing. Stop waiting. Stop wondering. If you have what it takes, get in here and prove it. Worst case, you get run. Best case, you land the most exclusive invite in sports talk radio. 66 days. Let's freaking go. 1-800-636-8686. Two people lost their ticket today. Why don't one of you pick one of them up? Anthony Lynn is my guest. Anthony, great to have you back. How are you? It's good to be back, Jim. Doing good, man. Just back at work. Just got off the practice field. I like it. It's good to talk to you, Coach. Listen, I want to talk to you about your team, but what yeah. I really want to talk to you about is something that went down last week when you graduated from UNLV. But to fully appreciate that, why don't we go back a little bit? You came into the NFL as an undrafted rookie out of Texas Tech, and when you signed with the Broncos, you told a coach you were six credits shy of your bachelor's and that you wanted to finish it. What was the reaction of that coach at that time? You know, that coach, uh, he was looking out for me, and he basically pulled me aside and said, look, son, if you go back to school and if you're not here for these off-season workouts, you're not going to make this team. And he was right, you know. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I stayed, and I didn't go back, and I went back later on and and didn't realize degree plans, they change. And and now, now it's six credits, I'm 18 credits, and, you know, and we just never got it worked out at Texas Tech. And the time you never seemed right for me to go back. You know, and it's always something, you know, in life is always something. And I started a business. I started coaching. 
and then trying to become a head coach. And, and at some point, I just got fed up and said, you know, I'm just going to get this done because it was nagging at me. It's just something that I needed to complete and finish. Anthony Lynn, my guest. Listen, you glossed over that one point. I would imagine maybe over time, I mean, you were locked in, you were busy, but the six units probably were hanging over your head. And then when you finally get around to it, you look into it and you find out it's not six. Now it's 18. What was that like when you found that out? Well, uh, that was I was shocked, you know. Uh, the whole time I was thinking, you know, I had six in my head. That this was just two courses I could knock it out right away. And, you know, and back then, Rome, you couldn't do this online. You had to go back and take the last 24 hours on campus. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought I could do that. I, I could take some time away from football and knock that out. But 18, no way. You know, I was married. I had two kids. Uh, There's no way I could go, you know, back for the whole whole semester. And, and and even more than a semester, that's a semester and a half. So, the LA Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn, my guest. So then, in 2014, you're with the New York Jets and you're talking with the team's director of player development, Dave Zott. He returned to finish his degree after 11 years. His wife Andrea, the story goes, said to you, "Quote, coach, you got to get this done. There are no excuses." So when she, she said that, yeah, what was that moment like? You know. It's, for her to look me in the eyes and say that to me, uh, it, it inspired me, man, because she was right. You know, you can make excuses for a lot of things and keep putting things off, but you got to make time for the, for what's what's important. And uh, and it felt good to know that a peer of mine like Dave Zott, you know, nine-time pro bowler at Kansas City, made a zillion dollars, you know, when he played. For him to want to go back and finish his degree, you know, uh, it just made me feel like I wasn't the only one. And so... You know, I started investigating and looking into it at that time, and I finally got around to it, you know, in the uh, in the summer of 2017. Listen, I get it. I get it. And you go to college for a lot of different reasons, right, which we can get into. But a lot of people go to college to get a good job. You have a great job. You have one of only 32 jobs. You're really good at that job. In other words, I can make the argument that you don't need a bachelor's degree, but it seems like on some level you felt like you had to get it. Why was that? You know, it's just... First of all, just self-fulfillment. You know, it's just it was something that I had not completed that that just wasn't finished, and 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 that just kind of bothered me over the years. And and then there was my mother. You know, I told my mother I was the first in my family to go to college, and I told my mother I was going to get this damn degree. And and when I didn't get it, Jim, she never said a word. She never said a word, but she didn't have to. I knew it was there, and and I just uh, and it couldn't have happened at a better time, Mother's Day weekend. I just I just wanted to get that degree, give it to her, and, and just tell her thank you for all that she's done for me. Anthony, what did that feel like? I mean, on the one hand, I'm sure she's exceedingly proud of what you've accomplished and what you've made of your life, but for you to give her that degree on Mother's Day, no less, what did that feel like? Man, that felt great. I'm not, I mean, that felt great. It was emotional, and it, it felt really great, man. All right, so you decide to re-enroll. I, I got to know, what was it like for you to re-enroll when you make that decision? What was it like to crack open the books again? You, you know what? It was it was, uh, <laughs> it was fun. I, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, going to school when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, you, you, your focus is athletics, uh, what you're wearing in class that day, the girl over there on the other side of the room. You know, <laughs> it's so many distractions. But when you go back now, Man, it's really uh, enlightful. I learned a lot. I was really engaged and into it. And uh, I wasn't in the classrooms, but just talking to the professors over internet, over conference calls, and a few visits that I made, I really enjoyed it.
Uh, I want to get into what or how they responded to you as well in a minute. L.A. Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn, my guest. Fact is, though, it's pretty difficult to find a job. It's got more demands than that of an NFL head coach. So how were you able to make the time to study? And then what kind of classes were you taking? Well, you know, I, I, was, I was taking sociology, psychology, science classes, and uh, public health, things of that nature under my degree plan. But uh, uh, the, as far as the time, you know, I, this whole off online thing, it was all new to me. And, and I hired a consulting company to help me navigate through this, all of my credits from Texas Tech and where I could best put those credits to, to make it as convenient as possible. And, uh, and, and UNLV just happened to be close enough, and she has some history there. But uh, just learning to schedule classes offline and work ahead and plan ahead, that really helped me a lot because, you know, I, I could look at my syllabus and I knew what I had in the fall. But that, that little four-and-a-half, five-week vacation that we get in the summer, you know, I was working. I was planning. I was researching. I was on vacation, but I was still working. And I was getting ahead knowing that I couldn't focus on a lot of this in the fall. And that kind of helped me. Uh, uh, my academic advisor, she was off the charts at UNLV. Tracy Johnson, she really helped me a lot. Me just hearing that word syllabus has me flashing back to the syllabus. <laughs> yeah, I want to be very clear about this. I'm not the one saying this. I'm going to quote somebody. A professor at UNLV told MMQB, quote, I don't know if Anthony told you this, but he's kind of a nerd, end <laughs> quote. I love that. What's it mean to you to hear one of your professors refer uh, to you as a nerd? Well, I was just engaged, you know. I was, he, he, he couldn't believe how much I was into it. I was like, dude, I'm learning, man. I mean, I, I wish I could have felt this way back in the day, you know. I, I wouldn't be in this situation right now, but it was, uh, it, it was a unique experience at this age, going back to school and learning and talking about some of the topics and subjects that we were talking about. One of the subjects is part of your degree. You did a capstone project that was titled Sustaining Elite Athletes, Positive Mental Health Post-Career. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's a topic that's going to impact every single professional athlete. So what did you learn as part of that research for that project? You know, what I learned was that, you know, we have a lot of players that go on when they finish their careers and they have very successful lives and, and they do a lot of impactful things. But, you know, we have some that, that don't. And, and I believe I believe one's too many. I believe for an athlete to go through this type of basic training to make it to this elite level, and you have what it takes to go out in the world and be very successful when you're done playing football. And, and I just it just kind of opened my eyes up to, uh, to more awareness of what's going on in post-careers with some guys. And we talk about mental health issues, and, and sometimes we just – I've always – just assume mental health meant a guy was just out of his mind, but mental health can be something as an identity crisis. It can be, uh, you know, something as simple as boredom, being bored, you know, because of the excitement and, and the mob that you're used to hearing on Sundays. But uh, and, and and those type of mental health issues lead to some serious mental health issues is what I learned. And so I think just helping athletes better prepare and plan for post career. Uh, is, is very important, and not say, and I'm, not, I'm not saying we don't do that right now, but I, I can tell you that we we can do better, you know, and 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 I, and I, think, I don't I don't know if we give these guys enough credit to go ahead and start planning for life after football, because you know there, there's a culture that you know we want guys locked in and we want them thinking about one thing and being committed to that, but I, I think it's unfair 
to have them not think about plan B a little bit. And so that that transition, that advanced planning, uh, makes their post-career a lot smoother. Los Angeles Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn joining me for a few more moments. You know, to that point, you were going to need a little bit of time to make this thing happen. So obviously you'd want the support of the organization. Your GM, Tom Telesco, said, you told him there might be a scheduling conflict because graduation, and his reaction was, <laughs> quote, I'm damn proud you're our head coach. So what's that say about him and the organization that they embraced this the way they did? You know, I, I was surprised. Uh, I had no idea. I wasn't telling a lot of people. And I'll be honest with you, Jim. I mean, I didn't like. I didn't get it. You know, 49 years old, graduating. I was a little embarrassed, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and and I was just going to get my diploma in the mail. That's what that was my plan. But uh, you know, when I when I shared this with my general manager and my owner, you know. They felt it was important for me to walk. My academic advisor, Tracy Johnson, was really disappointed. I didn't want to walk, and you know, I didn't. You know, they did so much to help me. I, I just felt like, okay, it must be something here. I need to walk, and be, you know, and and if, it, if, if that example can help somebody else down the road, God bless them, because I know I've had a lot of people inspire me throughout my life. But really, I was just wanting to get this degree done. You know, without a lot of people knowing, and and Tom just thought, you know what, this is a cool deal. It's a great example. I don't want you to change the mini camp schedule. I want you to be able to explain to the guys why you're not going to be here. I think that's very important that you do that. And and then Dean jumped in, and Dean helped me, you know, with transportation and getting there. And and his and Susie was there with him, his wife, and, and it was just awesome to have them there supporting me through this whole thing. And Jenny Bonk was there, Jeffrey Pollock, you know, so. Uh, the, it's just nice to see the family come together. Yeah, and then your mother Betty, your wife Stacy. Oh, yeah. A number of other members of the family. So I got to know, Anthony, what was it like to walk? What was it like to walk across that stage? It was, I felt like a little kid, man. <laughs> I did. Sure. You know, it's, it's been a long time since I walked across the stage and received a diploma. And uh, and by the way, I, I didn't get the damn diploma. I thought I was going to get it at, at that time, but I didn't realize they mailed it to you a month later. So <laughs> that was a little disappointing. But anyway, you know, it's it's an experience I'll never forget. Yeah, but it's going to extend the experience, right? You got to walk and you're going to get something in the mail. So the thing yeah. keeps going. LA Chargers head coach, he's entering his second season there. And again, a man who finishes unfinished business. Anthony Lynn, my guest. Next time we talk about the team, but I want to talk to you about that, and I'm so glad we did. Congrats, Anthony. Great to have you back. Really Thanks appreciate lot, it. Neil. Really quickly, let me ask you this. What's in your medicine cabinet? What is in your medicine cabinet? Pirates pitcher Jamison Tyon would love to know, because this dude right now has got a pretty nasty cut on the middle digit of his throwing hand, and he's out there chasing hard for a remedy to get back on the bump. This guy does not want to miss time. Over the weekend, the Pittsburgh Tribune Review sat down with this dude, and he straight up said he is willing to try anything to get back to work. And I mean anything. And when I talk about anything, I don't mean hitting it with some Neosporin or like some lame little Band-Aid. Jameson Tyon is looking to hit it with some urine, and not just his own urine. Quote, I said... If it helps, I'll put a sign-up sheet up and everyone can come and pee. I don't care. I just wanted to go away. End quote. Bro, the hell? First off, are you so dehydrated that you can't just settle for your own stuff? Do you really need a 25-man roster coming over to your locker to literally hang out? I mean, my man, how big is this gash? How big is this cut? 
Hey, look, I love a guy that's willing to do almost anything to get back out there. A guy who wants to play for his team at all costs. But maybe not this cost. It's your finger, bro. Not a team urinal. So in a tweet that could only come from an MLBer, he thumbed out this gem yesterday. Quote, got to clarify this whole pee on hand thing. People offer up their remedy opinions. I jokingly said, if peeing on it gets me on the field where I belong, I'll put up a sign-up sheet. Not my thing. I promise. End quote. See, that's the thing. That thing about it not being your thing, it sure as hell sounds like it's your thing. But you are the one who said it. So I'm going to let you walk it back. Or at least I thought that I was until you chased that tweet with this one. Quote, but for real, does it work? Asking for a friend. End quote. Man, this dude. <laughs> this dude. This dude really wants that digit hosed down. And I'm pretty sure the only reason he even attempted to retract that statement initially is because it's a baseball clubhouse. And that sign-up sheet probably got tattooed by guys ready to help out. Jameson, my man, it's a cut. It's a cut. It's not a jellyfish sting. Hit that thing with some super glue. Maybe a stitch or two. Hell, lop it off. Or just ride it out on the DL. Do anything that does not involve a grip of your teammates turning your finger into A-Rod's cousin's rug. How <laughs> you like that, Yuri? <laughs> Incredible thing is the guy's name is Yuri. <laughs> My man, you're not even counting for splash radius or mental trauma. Or some dude that housed a bunch of asparagus before his turn on that sign-up sheet. Bottom line, just don't do it. Just don't do it. I know you're not the first, but what do you say you'd be the last? I know you're not the first, but what do you say you're the last? Be the guy that misses a few starts, not the guy that becomes the team's reliever. And I'm not talking about the bullpen. <laughs> ML beers. Moises Alou thinks that's jacked up. Seriously, I mean, I've heard of remedies to ailments like that. Well, man, just ride that thing out. Hit it with some Neosporin. Put a Band-Aid on it. Stop having your teammates come by your locker. Chad Bettis is my guest. Chad, it's great to have you back on. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? Good, good. Chad, great to talk to you. As I mentioned, you're right in the thick of things in the West. Going into this season, you had a team that had some hard times, and then they bounced back and win 87 games. You get a wild card. When you have the kind of success, Chad, that you guys had, how much did that change expectations coming into this season? Oh, it's huge. You know, I think everybody got a little bit of a taste of it last year, and, and we're all, we, we all expect more than that this year. You know, I think, uh, you know, that when you, when you get into the wild card and the, and the you know, in the, in the step of the playoffs of where you want to go, it gets really addicting. And, and, you know, it's something that you feed off of and, and that you want to keep going back for more. All right, so you're only 40 games in, so you're kind of getting a sense, I would imagine, of what you are and who you are. But when you look at the arms that you guys have and then the bats in that lineup, including Nolan Arenado, and you've got Charlie Blackman, you've got Trevor Story, when you look at this team top to bottom, how good can this team be? Oh, we can be really good. And I think we can be really dangerous. I feel like you know, we're just kind of filling it out right now. I think, uh, you know, it's it's early in the season. 
Uh, I think we're, we're right where we need to be, um, you know, and I think I think our hitters are coming alive and they're starting to get hot here. Chad Bettis, my guest. Hey, Chad, stick with Aaron Otto for a minute. I'm mean, this is a guy that impacted the game in so many different ways. I'm curious, what's more impressive to you, what he does in the field or what he does at the plate? Oh, man, I don't know. I would say <laughs> I would say it's, it's almost equally as impressive. You know, I think uh, you, you take it a little bit for granted when he's out there on the field because he makes everything look easy. Uh, you know, he makes everything look pretty routine when stuff – the, the, the plays that he's making aren't always routine. Uh, it's just, it just you know, speaks volumes of, of how well he is defensively. But I think also his approach to the plate is unbelievable. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think he's in a good spot right now. I think, uh, you know, there's going to be good things to come this year. The guy's a monster to me. I can't believe how easy he makes a really difficult game look. And then you've got Bud Black, who's one of my favorite guys. He said that among the things he likes best about you is the fact that you're a true role model for all the other pitchers on that team, that they can watch the way you approach your days leading up to a start, how you pitch to a scouting report, and how you execute on game day. So how much pride do you take in having that kind of role on that team and being able to impact the guys around you? Oh, huge! You know, I, th- I, I think I, uh, I, you know, I, I really enjoy it. But at the same time, I think it, it's something that we've developed here as a starting staff. You know, I think we all communicate well. Uh, you know, we've we've all, uh, you know, joined together in, in, in a brotherhood sense, and and you know, we're all we're all willing to go to battle for each other. Um, that being said, I think everybody's a little bit different, and 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 how we pitch and and, and scout's going to be a little bit different. So I think the fact that we communicate as well as we do. Um, in in ways that, uh, you know, we're going to attack certain teams a little bit differently, so we're not all just doing the same thing. Rockies pitcher Chad Bettis, my guest. Chad, is that something you always had in terms of being a role model? Is it something you always had, or is it something maybe you picked up and something you learned from watching other guys when you first came up? Uh, Yeah, I think it's something that I kind of just learned. I I, I feel like um, I've never been real vocal. Uh, I've never been uh, one to you know, be a hoorah guy here, but, uh, you know, I've always tried to keep my head down and go about the business the right way um, and really just earn respect, um, for, you know, from out from out my teammates because I feel like respect's not given out, it's earned, um, and that's all I'm trying to do each day is just earn respect. Bud Black said that you're a craftsman, that you could have pitched in any era because of that fact. You're a craftsman. What's it mean to hear a manager praise you like that? Not just a manager, but a manager who pitched and pitched at a high level. I, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I think... Uh, you know, to be regarded as, as a craftsman is, is it's something that I take some serious pride on. You know, you talk about craft in your approach. You've got an absolutely devastating changeup, and one of the things that's really notable about that is the spin rate and how low you can get that. How much attention do you pay to that spin rate number, and what's it tell you? Uh, you know, it, it's not something I've, I've, I've paid too much attention to closely until this year, uh, you know, getting a little bit more information and knowledge about it, uh, talking with Ottavino about it, and... and and the, and the ways that it can affect the, the changeup. And I, I feel like, uh, you know, I've taken, I've taken wind to it a little bit more. Uh, I, really, I, I really appreciate, you know, where I'm at with it right now. Uh, that being said, I feel like it can always get better. And, and uh, right now I think, I think the lowest I've thrown is somewhere in the 1,100 range, and I'm trying to get it down to 900s by the end of the year. So it's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, I see you working, but I'm always amazed by what guys do with the information. As an example, you said, I'm paying more attention to it now. As an example, I had Josh Donaldson on the show a few years back. This guy practically gave a dissertation on launch angles, spin rate, all sorts of detailed pieces of information. So from a pitcher's perspective, how valuable is all that information? Oh, I think it's huge, but I think it also can be a demise depending on how you, in, you, know, how you intake that information because I feel like sometimes too much information uh, can really, you know, make you vulnerable 
um, in, in almost being overprepared uh, and, and not just using uh, your athletic ability to, to, you know, help guide you through a game a little bit. Uh, that being said, I feel like if you're underprepared, then, you know, that, that's never good either. But I think there's, there's got to be a happy medium somewhere where you're prepared, but you're still able to do what you need to do with your athletic ability and being able to read hitters and, and, and read what the team's approach are doing to you and, and how to make an adjustment. Yeah, I was going to say, there might be a risk, right, inherent in getting too far into those numbers and having that impact you in a negative way if you get too much of the information. You know, I had Dayon Buchanan from the Arizona Cardinals on the show yesterday, and he was talking about how it was when he dealt with an injury last year, and he had to remind himself that football is what he does. It's not who he is. We've talked about the fact that you were diagnosed with testicular cancer and you're on the other side of that now it's obviously much more serious than an injury but how does your perspective change on life and baseball as a result no i think i think going through everything you know it kind of put everything in pecking order for me and i, and I feel like you know I, I love baseball uh but but then again like you said it's 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 what i do it's not who i am uh and i think that you know i think that really resonated with me when i was going through everything uh and and, and made sure that it that family was first and, and that baseball was going to be, uh, you know, after that. What about your baseball family? As you were going through that, how important was your baseball family to you? Oh, it was unbelievable. You know, I think the, the, the fact that, that my teammates did so much for me, I think that goes without being said. Uh, I mean, the, what, what they did for not only for me, but for my family as well and, and, and helped us during extremely hard times. Um, you know, I, I'm forever grateful for them. Kyle in Green Bay. Kyle, what's going on, kid? How are you? Hey, I haven't been here, but the car is running, and uh, we're in the middle of the Rocky Mountains right now. Pulled off in a little city where I got the reception. All right, so the reception's a little bit spotty, but I can hear you. So you're in the Rockies right now. The car is running. First of all, what was wrong with the car, and how did you get the money to get that thing fixed? Well, I had an emergency fund if I needed it, and uh, I had a warranty on my car. So uh, I only had to pay $100 deductible and uh, for $700 uh, repairs. So uh Caught a break on that one. Luckily, I got the extended warranty when I bought the car. All right, so I like that. That's a good move. So what were the highlights of the trip? Give me two or three things that stand out above everything else. Um, I got to say going to Javier's, that was quite the experience. Uh, it was really good. Probably some of the best tacos I've ever had in my life. We had some steak and chicken. Uh, it was expensive, so a little bit more pricey than a Green Bay restaurant. But, you know, just meeting all the clones in general, man, they're all so cool. They're all so generous. I had people offer me cars. I had people offer me hotel rooms. People trying to start me GoFundMe pages. So it was, uh, it was quite the trip, and I'm glad I took it, and I can't wait for that. my next one. And then December, I'm going out to Buffalo and the East Coast. Kyle and Kareem Bay joining us. When was the last time you slept in your car? Uh, we had a nice hotel for three nights. So uh, we slept Thursday night was the last time. So, Dude, that had to be that. nice, three nights in a hotel. How many nights total did you sleep in that car? Uh, we pulled three nights in a row in the whole time in the car, so it was uh, got a little uncomfortable after a while, but uh, it wasn't too bad. All right, Kyle. So where are you right now? How much farther do you have to go to get home? We are in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. I say we got about another at the 7:20 a.m. if we drive all the way through, so we got a healthy amount. I just want to let you know that I will be calling next week to try and snag another. Another attempt at a golden ticket. I uh, once I get it, I'm going to hit the books, uh, aka Stucknut, and start uh, researching some of these scrubs like Brad and Corona. Who doesn't have the Kahunas to go on the Twitter and face the JTP like a man? And the last thing I got to say, Rome, is Canada, 
You can have Rich Smackerman. We don't want him. War USA. I'm out here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Kyle. It's strong. It's a good way to end, but I want to ask you this. Were you on a Green Bay radio station this morning, and were they interviewing you as a guest? Yes, they were. Uh, They saw all the... All, the, all my tweets and stuff, and they want me to come in-house this week and talk to them as well, so that was pretty cool. All right, so how'd that go this morning? It was good. I pulled over on the side of the highway in Utah. We had, like, a good 12-minute uh, conversation. Uh, he uh, posted a link on Twitter. I retweeted it. They don't want to check it out. So, Dude, speaking of Twitter, how many followers did you pick up on Twitter on this trip? Uh, pushing 300 for sure, so i got to thank you and Adam for that. That's pretty awesome. My good, man. That's strong. Stuff. All right, so what's next? You're talking about a trip to Buffalo later on, but what's next? Is that next, or do you have something else planned? Oh, uh, we got the Green Bay Clone Stock 2018 Week 1 against the Bears. That's the next thing. If I can snag this golden ticket, hopefully I can meet up with Benny and 12 wood, and we can do something like a little party for uh, the smack off levy. Dude, is, is, my, is my face going back on that keg, or are you going next level with it? You got to come, man. I'm, we're out here, here hustling, doing clone stocks. And all. You got you to gotta come out with the Heineken, with the Magic Blue, and we'll have a good old party. You and Hawks both come. All right, Cal, I appreciate the invite. Listen, I, I would love to give you a golden ticket right now on the strength of that trip, but I can't. You got to earn that thing. So when you get home and you get yourself right, you call up and you earn it the old-fashioned way, all right? Hey, that's the way I want to do it, man. I got go to the top the old-fashioned way and uh, gain the respect to all the clones. boy, boy, Nice job, Kyle. Safe travels. I'm proud of you. Appreciate you. Stay on it. Stay strong. Kyle in Green Bay. Look at the kid. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.